Hello, um, hey, hey, it's Chris. Um, a bit of our intro got cut off, so I just wanted to say that we have a guest on today's podcast. His name's Terrell Couch. He is a fraternity and sorority coordinator at Boise State University, and he is here with um, Chris Butler and I to talk about the injustices in America. So we really appreciate it, and please take a listen to our show today. Alrighty, hello and welcome to this special edition of the Two Black Too Nerdy podcast. Um, today we have a uh, guest with us, um, Terrell, and um, this is kind of a different episode than we normally do. We're not going to talk about the Flash and comic books and uh, Avatar: The Last Airbender today, which is what I really want to talk about. Unfortunately, we've got to talk about the state of racial justice in the united states i guess i'll just just jump right into it so there i so as if most of you probably know there is massive protests some want to say riots some want to say uprisings all over the united states and this pretty much been kicked off by a number of um cases um around the country related to law enforcement and racism and black people um in this country so um i guess chris do you want to uh do you want to you know i guess we can just go through case by case so over the past month and a half while we've all been quarantined at home doing the stay at home orders Mm -hmm. there have been a number of cases of racial shootings against African-Americans and police brutality against African-Americans. And they have all been sort of dominoes in Uh leading up to the responses that we're seeing now. So the first one you have, which actually took place in February, but because of the video being released, it became national news with Samad Arbery, where he was jogging throughout a neighborhood um, that had been subject to a couple of break-ins and this father and son, the father being an ex-cop saw Ahmad running he grabbed his son, they grabbed their guns and they followed him in their truck and they had a friend who was videotaping behind them and Ahmad uh, ran around their truck, there's a video uh, he ran around their truck because they pulled in front of him. And the son hopped up, and they were wrestling over his gun. And Ahmad got shot at least twice. So that was the first one. That had national attention. And people were calling for those guys to be arrested and for there to be, uh, you know, swift justice and everything. So eventually the guys did get arrested. But this is two months after the fact. Yep. Then you have Brianna Taylor, who was in her home with her boyfriend sleeping in their apartment. Um, her boyfriend was there. Or wait, wait, she was she asleep or was she eating ice cream? There are too many stories. So yeah, I'm not sure. I'm sure. But she she was she were, was eating ice cream. Yeah, essentially okay. she was in her home minding her own business. Right, and her uh, boyfriend yeah. is there, and the police are banging on the door and break it down, but they don't identify themselves as police because they have a report that, you know, some illicit activity is going down there and they have the wrong people, by the way, but they break down the door. They don't identify Mm -hmm. themselves. 
her Brianna Taylor's boyfriend fires at the officers thinking someone is trying to break into their home and they respond in kind and Brianna Taylor gets shot at least eight times and is dead then you have Sean Reed who is a, uh, a, a member of the armed forces of the United States who is running from the cops because they're after him not for you know details were still unclear but mm-hmm. he gets shot and it's up it's on uh instagram live and a lot of people are talking about how the cops are saying you know we're standing around laughing and being very um nonchalant about the fact that they were killing someone and then now you have george floyd who you see in a video having four cops surrounding him. He's handcuffed on the ground and one officer has his knee on the back of his neck for somewhere around seven to eight minutes. George Floyd is then, you know, he suffocates and he dies. And this was all over an alleged bad check or bad $20 bill, which turns out was not bad. And the person that had to call the cops as per state law was a young black man. And I, I honestly, I have to think about how he feels because he he did what he had to do, legally required to do, mm-hmm. and it led to George Floyd's death. And so you have all those deaths. And at the same time that the George Floyd video comes out, you have Amy Cooper and Christian Cooper in Central Park. Amy Cooper is a white woman. Christian Cooper is a black man. Christian Cooper is out in what is called a ramble. He is a bird watcher. And so there are ground birds, and then there are birds in the nest, and he's looking or watching. Amy Cooper's dog comes running through without a leash, and Amy Cooper is with her dog. And Christian Cooper is pleading for her to put the dog on the leash because otherwise the dog will destroy the ground nest and ruin his bird watching activity and ruin the habitats for those birds. And so he's repeatedly asking her to do it. She says no, because the places uh, that are originally for dogs are not accessible at this time. And then he starts recording her and she's you know, yelling at him, telling him to stop recording. And he's saying, no, you need to put your dog on the leash. And then she says, I'm gonna call the cops. I'm gonna call the cops and tell them there's an African-American man threatening my and then she and he he tells her to call the police and she she's calling and she turns on this persona where she's saying she's being threatened she sounds teary-eyed she sounds uh hysterical as you know if her life is truly being threatened and to anybody watching the video you can tell christian cooper is calm he is collected he's not doing anything He's not moving really at, in the video at all. She's moving towards him and away from him. He has to tell her at one point, don't come close to me. Mm-hmm. And I think with the, with the timing of Amy Cooper and George Floyd, it was just a constant reminder to African-Americans across this country that people, white people can weaponize the police against us and that the police are in a state of weaponization against us on their own. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so you have this slew of anger, frustration, 
sadness, disbelief over everything that's happening. And so people start protesting. And it, there are a variety of reports now, but the Minnesota AG came out, the attorney general, and he said that there were uh, everybody that got arrested on the first night they were doing the arrest were from out of state. So you look at their white supremacist groups that are posting online, there are Antifa people that are arrested. So you have, there are white people that are being opportunistic about black people peacefully protesting their outrage and their frustration and taking advantage of that to cause chaos. Because then again, that is also more police action against black people because that's who they're going for because of that are, inherent bias that is there. They're already under the and cover so of then, the protests. Right. And then the protests turn into riots or uprisings and they become more and that's where we are now. Yeah, Chris, that was a really good, really yeah. good summary. I knew, I knew you could do it. Um, so yeah, I mean, we wanted to do this podcast today, just to sort of, you know, go into the details about why this is happening, how we got here, and I mean, I specifically when this is done being taped, I want to share it on Facebook, and I, you know, I be honest, I have plenty of white friends and I really want them to listen to the things that we're saying because I'm coming from a place of hey you guys need to listen to us because things are bad right now and they can definitely get worse and a lot of people need to understand how we got here because you know I mean People need to understand how we got here so that we can try to find some solutions for this situation. Because everything Chris mentioned, this is all on top of the pandemic, which is still here. We have mass unemployment in the United States right now. And in my opinion, lackluster relief from Congress. So we have a country that is on edge, you know, and... There are so many different factors and different things that are going on and to me personally a lot of these a lot of the protests a lot of these things that are going on right now this already to me feels different than Ferguson and Baltimore that happened in 24 2014 2014 20, 2015 like when I saw the images of the police um department on fire in Minnesota and I'm just, I'm like, I don't think something like this has, I don't know if it's ever happened before and definitely not in recent decades. So I really want people to do their research and educate themselves because this is honestly uncharted territory, in my opinion, within the United States. There's only so long that a group in a country can genuinely, and to use the words of what has been chanted and where we are, can genuinely say we can't breathe before something happens. And I'm gonna come from a place of vulnerability here, but I think to, to November 2016, everything that happened, try not to make it a personal issue, try not to focus on politics but leaving my apartment to go take a test the next day 
and looking at the American flag and breaking down into tears and um, talking to a friend in uh, uh, our office and just trying to explain to her, this is this already felt different. This already felt wrong. I, I as an African-American male who doesn't subscribe to a religion, who feels comfortable saying things out loud, no longer feel like I have a country because there's uh, an individual who willingly weaponized all things that us as African-Americans knew were underneath the surface and used it to get to a space without any regard or mindset of what could go wrong or how how much hate can come out of that and now we're in may of 2020 and our population has lived through charlottesville has lived through this pandemic that has disproportionately impacted us because of the systems of oppression that have given us weak health care and non-essential jobs that put our population in danger because they don't have a way to feed their family anymore. And then also putting them in the essential jobs to do the work to save the country. And just the amount to which our backs have been broken only to have to explain to our white counterparts that there are two Americas and we've known that from jump, but they don't have to see it and then to have the Amy Cooper situation and say, this is what it feels like to know that there's two Americas. This is a situation where it could have gone so much, so wrong. Emmett Till started to be, started to trend on Twitter at that, in that space. And not even, even a full week later, when exactly how quickly this can hop off, showing how slow our system is, that a video of a man having someone's knee on his neck to suffocate him did, and immediately bring justice to see the video beforehand where you see the cops walking up to the car, talking to him, escorting him out of the car and having him sit against the wall and then still find a reason to put their knee on his neck and to watch everything that's happening on CNN and all the conversations that are happening around why did he get third degree murder? Why aren't the other ones being in charge while we're still dealing with the fact that there was an innocent African-American man who was jogging in his own neighborhood who got shot. And it took months for a video to come out because those individuals had connections in high places and got to get away. That is, that is the pain that I feel. That is the anguish that I, I'm outspoken about and hearing Chris as eloquently as you described all of them. It's just a reminder that it, there's only so long you can't breathe before you either grasp for air or your body reacts. And not to condone overt violence, but this is that moment of a body, a bodily reaction to the fact that how can you be in a country that doesn't love you, that doesn't care about who you are, that you question if you can wear a mask outside during a pandemic, and then still have someone come on and say when the looting starts, or when they start looting, they start shooting. Then it comes out and makes this a left versus right issue because he doesn't want to talk about race. To have the brother of Floyd say that the call with the president was so fast he didn't get to speak and doesn't even know what happened, but a vice presidential candidate had the nerve to talk to him for more than a couple of hours. Like that is the pain and that is the root that I feel. And yeah. <laughs> and I think. 
there are other things that we have we have to compare it to because here in Michigan a month ago well a couple of times this past <laughs> month actually and some in April you had 90 uh, predominantly white protesters overwhelmingly amount of white protesters armed and unarmed protests at the state capitol of Michigan over the stay at home orders saying that it was tyrannical it was oppressive and at one of them they stormed the capitol building all armed they were not met with police in riot gear they were not met with tear gas or water cannons or rubber bullets they were met with unarmed police officers who were just in regular face cloth masks that would not let them into the legislative session and you have peaceful protesters and you have images and videos that showcases that evidence this that way before several hours before the looting and rioting started you had unarmed protesters peacefully protesting going up and down the streets met with police in riot gear they got shot with rubber bullets they got hit with water cannons and the police officers had riot gear, shields, and batons, and it's just like you notice there's the this inherent disparity, and it's one thing to say, well, I you know look at you know riots in 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 um, you know after sports games and how those are treated, which is a whole other issue that we can talk about. But uh-huh. you had one legitimate peaceful protest for George Floyd's death, and then one quote unquote peaceful protest. I don't know how an armed protest that busts into a state capital can ever be called peaceful. Like just because no one shot off a bullet does not make it peaceful. But mm-hmm. you have those two juxtapositions. And even in Minnesota, they had protests over their stay at home orders. Now I don't believe they were armed. I could be wrong, but I don't believe they were armed. Mm-hmm. But they still weren't met with that same type of opposition. Uh-huh. Yep. Where you have in Minnesota black people leading the protest and there were there were white protesters there. There were protesters mm-hmm. of all color there. But where you have the overwhelming number be white protesters and they don't get that same treatment shows the inherent bias of the system. Yeah, Absolutely. and one one thing I also want to talk about too is that there's this whole conversation about, you know, well, why can't these protesters remain peaceful? Why is there property damage? Okay, why is there looting? Why are all these things going on? And the fact is, when people feel like a system is not working for them, when they people try to go through the legal means, I mean, these viral videos of black people being murdered, I mean, the original Black Lives Matter movement really kicked off in 2014 with Ferguson and I mean the seeds were planted with Trayvon Martin in 2012 and the fact is that you know Ferguson was six years ago and the change that we have gotten in many cases has been minimal and the fact is if there's no if there's no you know recourse for people then eventually things are going to you know go down in a chaos because the fact is that Writing is politics of last resort. You know, you have a group of people that go, well, you know what? If they're never going to listen to us, they're never going to try to help us, try to rectify the situation, we'll burn this target down. We'll burn this police station down. And the fact is, 
since the since things have started, now there's all this national media attention, and you've got all these people on TV like, oh my gosh, I didn't know that, you know, there were this many, there were two Americas and this many, you know, racial disparities in the U.S. And it's like, where have you guys been? Like this country was founded on slavery and genocide. And that doesn't just get to go away. And that history manifests itself in many ugly forms. So I really want people to see and understand that the reason why we got here is because of a history of violence in the United States. And um, I was watching a video, an activist was speaking, I think her name, I think it's Tamika Mallory. And she said that, you know, you want to come at us for looting. Well, you know, white settlers looted the United States. You know, we yeah. learned looting from y'all. So Our museums are full, filled with looted items. Exactly. So I'm it. not going to shed a tear for Target or any, you know, which is going to have insurance, which is going to be able to rebuild while black people continuously are murdered. And the Target Corporation came, out, with came out and said they support the protest and they're going to continue to pay those employees at that Target that, with full benefits until that store yeah. is rebuilt. Hmm. And, yeah, I, you know, I, go ahead, Terrell. The Just having to, and we've talked about this I was just going to say, we've talked about this before, but just having to turn on your television every day and know there's going to be well, the protests that turned into riots because of this incident that happened in New York. A cop genuinely paid on his gas and drove into the protesters. Yes, he did. Because they were blocking his way. Instances like that where Yes, you want to argue for peace. You want to argue for things to be at a certain level so that you can feel comfortable in the situation. But when you as an individual already viewed that less of a human system that's supposed to protect you or help keep that law in order, if you will, how? How do you have that conversation? How do you move forward? And there are so many different ways I want to go with that. But, you know, I, I want to go back to something you talked about, Terrell, because you said you don't want to talk about politics. But I, we have to inherently talk about where we are from the top, because people have oh. said, well, why don't you protest like Dr. King did in the 60s? Peaceful marches and everything like that. Why do you have to loot? Why do you have to riot? And it goes back to, OK, what is the right way to protest? A, there is never mm -hmm. a right way to protest. But B, you look at look at the past decade. You have Colin Kaepernick's protest, which mm -hmm. was deemed unacceptable. It was unpatriotic, and he was an ungrateful son of a bitch. You mm -hmm. had um, the NBA players say, with the I Can't Breathe t-shirts. They were ungrateful, and their protests were wrong. You had the cast mm -hmm. of Hamilton when Vice President Pence was there, and he, they, they read a statement before, I believe it was before the show, it might have been after, but yep. they read a statement. That was deemed disrespectful from the President of the United States who openly said all these things were disrespectful. 
Mm -hmm. These people were, were ungrateful. And so if you can't do handle those peaceful protests, which didn't even disrupt, you know, traffic or anything like that, which people have complaints about and everything like that. And we'll get to that. But yeah. you don't have. So what, how do you want them to protest? You don't. That's mm -hmm. the thing. You don't want them to protest. Protests make people uncomfortable. That's their point. They're designed yep. to disrupt things. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. if they, if you don't allow them to do that, then you don't want them to protest because you just want to be comfortable. You want to stay in your silence. You'd rather have peaceful uh, oppression than an uncomfortable re uh, revolution. Want to go to brunch? <laughs> People want to go to brunch. And I mean, I know, I'm sure you guys have heard the slogan, no justice, no peace. That's yeah. mm -hmm. literally what it's about. It's the fact that, listen, until there is justice for the marginalized people in this country, you know, maybe you shouldn't have to go to brunch and go to Starbucks and hang out with your friends. You know, people mm -hmm. need to really look and see what's going on because the fact is, I mean, black people, we contribute so much to this country. And I, I mean, I'll start by what Terrell said, that this is a country that does not love us back. All the things that black people have invented, all the work that we do every day, you know, despite all the injustices we receive, I mean, what do you expect people to do? Yeah. And put some history to, to the Martin Luther King protests. One, they assassinated him after the peaceful protest that he had. So even on that metric, does it work? Would you still treat us the same? But also understand the context that Martin Luther King organized those protests to be the way that they were because he knew that the police state that is America would not respond kindly to seeing an African-American in the streets doing anything he wanted the news to see. He wanted them to understand. Colin Kaepernick kneeled during national anthems and the NFL removed him from his position and silenced his actions, made sure that people did not understand that there was still discomfort. Again, understanding all of those contexts, why are you surprised where we are today? If you're not going to watch us when we're protesting and having our rallies, if you're going to think that just having an MLK day is enough to calm the racial anxiety and tensions in this country, you need to be put in the same place that it was in the 1960s and have your news organizations showing nonstop the anguish and anger and pain that a population is feeling. And I want to I want to I want to touch on something because people want to say, well, Obama divided us. He created the racial divide or worsened it or whatever. Our racism doesn't exist in America because we have a black president or why don't you guys just get over slavery or segregation or whatever. So I'm, I'm going to get on a religious religious tone for a second because I know the comment I hear that from most from are white Christians. And I, I am a Christian. I was raised Christian. It is deep within my bones. So there is the scripture, First John 1, 9, that says, If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. The key part of that is you have to confess. And in the act of repentance is not just saying, I'm sorry for what I did. It's turning my back from it. 
And so America never repented for slavery. Nope. America has barely confessed for its sin of slavery because there's some people that just want to ignore it and not admit it happened or just be like, eh, okay, it happened, but that was a long time ago. But you go from the end of slavery in realistically 1865, because even though you have the Emancipation Proclamation in 1863, the South considered itself a different nation in the Confederacy. So you have that. So 1865. Then you have Reconstruction, the Black Codes, and Jim Crow. Then you have segregation all the way to 1965. And then you have the introduction of crack cocaine into the, uh, you know, into the black population. You have so, I can't even talk about all the things that happened in the 70s and 80s and 90s. But then let's talk about the crime bill in the 90s, where you have a difference between crack and powdered cocaine in the bill where powder cocaine received lighter sentences and crack received a lot harsher sentences. And crack was predominantly used by poor people and people of color, while uh, powder cocaine was normally used by affluent whites. And so now you have this all leading to the mass incarceration of black people that we're experiencing now, where the system is judging more harshly what black people and people of color do versus whites. And you can see that across the board, across various different crimes. Mm -hmm. But you have this notion where all these things disproportionately affected black people or were used to target it against black people. And our generation is the first, really the first generation to not have an explicit law on the books punishing black people. Mm. Now there are implicit ones, but you don't have an explicit one. So now it's like, did America, America ever really turn its back on its racist past? And the answer is no. No amount of black presence is going to fix that while you still have black people in the middle class and the lower class still suffering the effects of racism. And mm-hmm. uh, people, black people in the upper class are not, you know, uh, are not protected from racism either. They still ex- they still experience it whether they, they know it or not. Mm-hmm. But as you saw with Amy Cooper, racism is not just being called the N-word. It is not just being kicked out of a restaurant because of the color of your skin. It is I can recognize, I can weaponize my whiteness against your black body, and I'm going to do it. And I want to, I want to make a note about Amy Cooper too. Amy Cooper, you know, from any sort of research that's been done on her, I mean, she was not a conservative. She was a liberal. She had donated money to Obama and Hillary Clinton and Pete Buttigieg, I believe. So this is somebody that you know is a liberal, a Democrat, and she still knew how to weaponize race against a black person. So the fact is, just because you think, oh, well, hey, I vote for the right people, oh, well, I consider myself progressive, that does not mean that you are immune from being racist. And it's one thing to not be racist, and it's another thing to be anti-racist and actually fight back against racism in any way you can, whether that be in your personal life, with your family members, or broadly, you know, with these movements. Because the fact is, you know, I have plenty, I have white friends that are liberals, and they've told me that they have racist family members. Oh, my mom's racist, my dad's racist, etc., etc. And if you really care about dealing with these issues, you're the ones who are going to have to go into these spaces and talk to your family members. Because Chris Terrell and I can't. You know, we are, we're, we will put ourselves in danger. We're putting ourselves in danger when we engage with people who are racist. So that is something that you have to do if you want to see change in this country. 
and you know, like you said, no political party will absolve you from being racist, and no religion will absolve you from being racist. And at the same time, neither a political party or religion will protect people of color from racism. It is just the way it is. No matter where or what you are, there is nothing that protects you or absolves mm-hmm. you. And since we go ahead, Terrell. I was just going to say, since we brought up Martin Luther King, there's one quote that has resonated with me through most of this. But a hundred years later, the Negro still is not free. A hundred years later, the life of the Negro is still sadly crippled by the manacles of segregation and the chains of discrimination. You know, I, I wanted to end with this, but I think I want to start. I, I, since you quoted King, I want to quote King as well. Since, you know, you have some people that are saying, just explicitly saying his riot is the language of the unheard quote. And then mm-hmm. people also quoting saying, you know, uh, that uh, rioting is, count, you know, counterproductive to what it is. And I want to read, granted, this is a very long speech called The Other American. I implore everybody to look it up and read it. But he said in this, um, let me say, as I've always said, and I will always continue to say, that riots are socially destructive and self-defeating. I'm still convinced that nonviolence is the most potent weapon available to oppress people in the struggle for freedom and justice. I feel that violence will only create more social problems than they will solve. That, in a real sense, it is impractical for the Negro to even think of mounting a violent revolution in the United States. So I will continue to condemn riots and continue to say to my brothers and sisters that this is not the way, and continue to affirm that there is another way. But at the same time, it is as necessary for me to be as vigorous in condemning the conditions which cause persons to feel they must engage in riotous activities as it is for me to condemn riots. I think America must see that riots do not develop out of thin air. Certain conditions continue to exist in our society which must be condemned as vigorously as we condemn riots. But in the final analysis, a riot is the language of the unheard. And what is it that America has failed to hear? It has failed to hear that the plight of the Negro poor has worsened over the last few years. It has failed to hear that the promises of freedom and justice justice have not been met. And it has failed to hear that the large segments of white society are more concerned about tranquility and the status quo than about justice, equality, and humanity. And so in a real sense, our nation's summers of riots are caused by our nation's winters of delay. And as long as America postpones justice, we stand in the position of having these recurrences of violences violence and riots over and over again. Social justice and progress are the absolute guarantors of riot prevention. And as true as that was 55 years ago, still true today. Still true today. It's still true today. So, okay, I have a question um, for you guys. So do you, okay, so as far as like actionable, accountable things, what do you guys think we need to do as a country to move past this? I mean, obviously, Donald Trump has to go. I'm not, most people, if you follow me online, I'm not a Joe Biden fan, but Donald Trump as a president is just absolutely unacceptable his comments related to this issue were completely disgusting 
And I just, I mean, I have no words. I'm not debating Donald Trump with people. I mean, this man is clearly trying to escalate the racial tensions we have in the U.S. You know, he's trying to drive us closer to some sort of race war, some sort, some sort of civil war. And as much as I take issue with a lot of things about Joe Biden, that's not something that Joe Biden would do. So, um, yeah, I guess I'll just, I'll try to open up the floor to you guys, you know, um, one thing I want to mention is that, you know, when the Ferguson protests um, broke out, a lot of the activists were promoting Campaign Zero, which were so, which it was sort of like a 10-step plan for better policing. And it included things like body camps in every officer. It included things like revised training, getting for-profit policing, demilitarization, community representation, you know, independent um, prosecutors, you know, four cases when they happen and things of that nature. So I guess I just want to open up the floor to you guys. You know, what solutions do you see that can help rectify the situation? You know, what should our politicians be doing? You know, things of that nature. Before I get to solutions, I want to say one thing about Trump. Um, I don't care if he, from January 20th, 2017, until December 31st, 2019, he was the greatest president ever. You know, the economy was up, the you know, social uh, justice was reform was happening. I don't, I don't care if everything was great. His handling of the pandemic and his handling of these uh, protests have been mm-hmm. utterly disqualifying as a president of the United States. Utter disaster. Any kind. Absolutely. Because nothing that he has done has been an effective, an example of being an effective leader in instilling mm-hmm. hope in people and instilling um, a desire for change and to move forward in a sense of unity. There has been none of that. It's mm-hmm. either been ducking responsibility, being inflammatory with his language, or just being downright um downright uh having a downright disappearing disappearing act yeah so or blaming twitter for something yep 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 nothing he's done has made america great right solution wise um it is imperative for white america as well as other people of color that are non-black people to know that the things that are happening now are not a set a signal that America is getting worse in its racial relations. It's mm-hmm. more of this is an exposure of what race in America has been like for black people forever. Mm-hmm. So now while we might have we might not have explicit lynchings of pe- you know black people hanging in sh- trees we still have these lynchings that are happening across, whether it's George Floyd with a knee to his neck, Ahmaud Arbery being, you know, uh, chased and shot down, Sean Reed, Breonna Taylor, uh, Freddie Gray, Mike Brown, the names go on and on, Sandra Bland, Philando Castile. But the conversations that need to be had, black people can't have them, as you were saying earlier, Chris, because we have been talking and talking and marching and protesting forever. It's imperative that if you are our friends, if you are truly our allies and 
our accomplices in the fight for justice. You need to have these conversations with your family members Yep. when their prejudice shows up, when their racism show up, at any mention, no matter how big or small, you have to fight it. You have to call it out because, especially if you're a person of color, every person of color has, has experienced instances of racism in this country. And so as much as you don't like feeling those, you have to feel that other people of color don't feel don't want to feel those as well. So you have to have that sense of unity and you have to have that sense of collectiveness. And then for white America, you have to say that, no, this is not something that's going to get better if we just, you know, if we just pray about it, because faith without works is dead. But you have to act. You have to. I don't care how old the family member is, how estranged they are. They say something racist, you call it out. They do something racist, you call it out. And it's not just calling it out once. You do it every time until you're blue in the face because you may get tired, you may get annoyed, you may get angry with having to say that all over and over and over and over and over again. But we're tired of living it. <laughs> we're tired of doing it. And I, I've said this before that we have a lot of social justice warriors and I don't think that's as, as bad as a term as you know some people like to say it because you know there are some annoying people that are social justice warriors but we also need social justice teachers but it is not imperative of black America to teach other segments of America what the black experience is like the examples are out there we've said enough over the past several hundred years Google is free right it's imperative on you to do the teaching because no black friend, no black partner, no black coworker, you are not entitled to their time to teach you what to do. You can ask the questions and if they want to give you that, they give you the answers and help you, they can. But their emotional and mental capacity on seeing people that look like them being killed and beaten they're taxed, they're spent. So if they don't want to, you have to accept that, Google it, and move on. Because there are dozens, if not hundreds, of documents, PDFs, Excel sheets, video presentations on what you can say and do as a white person or a non-black person of color to address racism in your community and when you see it in general. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm going to echo most of what Chris said I'm I'm gonna not bring up politics because I I think there's so much change that needs to happen before a policy that can be passed that it's not it's not even in a space to have that conversation but what I will say is as all of this was happening I was having some very intentional and hard conversations with one of my oldest friends around race and I I had to be pretty direct with him and tell him that me as an African-American, my, my blackness was exhausted talking to him, uh, helping him understand why I get so angry when I see Donald Trump tweeting something that's just, it has those undertones that you, all of us can pick up, but he didn't have to. When I turn on the news and hear things, when I tell him, hey, I know our country's about to open up because they just said that this disease disproportionately impacts African-Americans, which means our country is going to stop caring about being locked at home. They're going to stop caring about all those other aspects because it no longer impacts the quote-unquote majority. So 
for me, if we're to move forward, the point of the matter is our allies, our white folk, our people of color who are not black need to stop trying to be woke stop trying to be a part of this population that feels like oh i understand this topic that's enough check that box i can be i can be at every rally i can be at every support there is no checkbox when it comes to being black in america there is no there is no crash course that you can take that makes everything make sense and understood Racism shows up in so many different aspects, walks, and places in life that if you truly want to be there for someone, you need to take that time, put in that effort, and put in that work to make sure, just as y'all said, your racist family member is hearing, I'm not going to tolerate that because I have friends of color. Your, your instinct to feel some type of way when you're running down a street and you see an african-american across and want to glare at them the whole time as if they don't belong break that tendency that's where we need to start and and not feel this space where you're going to step in and go i never realized how bad it was and now i'm aware it i appreciate it i guess but that that's not enough there there is no there is no comfort in you now feeling it appro- it's appropriate for you to understand what my experience has been like there's no comfort in you feeling like it is now a time that race needs to be an issue for you you need to understand that if this country is truly going to be anything like it was supposed to be when we passed a constitution and a bunch of rioters through tea in a harbor that should have always been at the forefront of your mind when you realized that people were talking differently when you were around your African-American counterpart, when you realized that your African-American was, or African-American counterpart was really stressed and anxious because they just watched another person die on TV and they don't feel like having that conversation with you. But because it disrupts your daily life, now you want to be upset. That's that, in my opinion is where change starts. It's not easy, it's not, it's not um, something that is comfortable, but having that understanding and that moment can set the stage for us to have a real conversation about what criminal justice reform looks like in this country, to have a real conversation about why legalizing marijuana isn't just for people to get high and get doped up, it's because people are disproportionately being impacted by laws that have no place in this country to literally create another type of slavery. That is when we can have those conversations so our politicians can stop looking at poll numbers because they know that at the end of the day, people understand where this work is coming from. Yeah, no, I mean, I I agree with, um, I agree with everything you guys have said. But listen, on the one point I also want to make too is that, you know, I see like, I see, you know, sometimes I'll dip into seeing what the right is saying and, you know, trying to see what angle they're trying to push with a lot of these issues. And, you know, I think, so I think some people literally think that, 
you know, black people inherently, we want to destroy this country. We want to cause chaos. We want to make life harder for everyone. And that's not true. What we want is to be seen as human. We want to be able to live. Because listen, I know that a lot of white folks want to get to brunch and they want everything to be comfortable. We'd like to, black people, we'd like to go to brunch too. But, you know, we can't <laughs> because we're constantly in fear for our lives. So, and I saw, I saw this photo where it was like, it was a group of white people sitting at like, they're sitting outside at, at like an outside restaurant as like a group of black protesters like passes them. And that is the ultimate, like, I think that just encapsulates like the two Americas. Mm-hmm. And I remember, um, I remember during the women's march, there was a photo of a white woman and she had a picture and she had a sign that said, Hey, if Hillary Clinton were elected, I'd be at brunch right now. And, you know, we've talked about how Donald Trump is a horror, but I think that image showed that woman's privilege because that message was saying, hey, you know, I never really had to care about issues until Donald Trump was elected. You know, mm-hmm. Black Lives Matter started before Donald Trump. And, you know, fingers crossed that we do get him out in November. There are still going to be lingering issues even after he is gone. So I really want people to understand that, you know, the where this country is right now has not, it hasn't come out of nowhere. Trump isn't a disease. He's a quote-unquote new symptom. Because, mm-hmm. honestly, the things he said and done he have been said and done before. Like, when the looting church shooting starts, that wasn't a hit. He didn't come up with that. Uh, I can't mm-hmm. remember his name, but he was a sheriff in Miami. He said that in 1967 before those riots got started. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it, it, he's he's not he's not new. Um, it's just people are more surprised because it's coming directly from the White House and not having being in private conversations in the White House. Mm-hmm. Um, but just this Thursday and maybe I'll have him come in here and tell the explicit story or the explicit story, but the more detailed story. Um, my brother uh, was out for you know walk run combo and uh, he was in a parking lot not even a quarter of a mile away from our house maybe and he was walking past his car this guy this little white guy had left the door open uh, his car running and he watched as my brother walked past it then went inside the store and then he proceeded to follow my brother out of the parking lot and then onto the main road and the main road you know, it's 45 mile an hour speed limit. And people regularly go 45 to 55 miles an hour on that road. And he's strolling behind my brother in his, in his truck until my brother starts to bring out his phone to, you know, take a picture and then the guy speeds off. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, you know, th- this is regular occurrences for black people in America. Yep. And you may think, oh, that's no big deal. Maybe he was lost or anything like that. And it's just like, it's the fact that you may be able to think, the fact that you are able to think, okay, well, maybe it wasn't in, 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 uh, nefarious is an example of privilege. Because mm-hmm. I literally had last week when I was out where a guy was just trying to look for somewhere to go. He had, old, he had a uh, classic car, so he didn't have GPS in there. Because, you know, I'm, I'm walking and all of a sudden he slows down and pulls... Uh, pulls to the side of the road like right beside where I'm walking and I'm like what's this dude doing 
And then, you know, he gets in, pulls around in the parking lot and comes out and goes the opposite direction. But it's just like, I don't know how many people actually have to think of that. I know women probably think about that if it's a man. But, yeah. you know, how many other people have to think about that? In broad daylight, you're, you know, you feel a sense of terror walking, you know, where you live or running where you live. Mm-hmm. You have the old couple stare at you as you walk you walk downtown with all your friends just with this inherent belief that you don't belong every time. And one thing I meant to add is if we're going to move forward, something that is empirical, empirical um, for us to do so is this can't just be another news cycle all of the allies who have jumped on our instagram stories our tweets our facebook posts who have said i didn't realize it was that bad you can't disappear once we have the next big news story or once we start talking about the election again this needs to be always at the forefront of the mind just as it is for us just as it is for your brother chris that that is the only way we move forward from here Otherwise, we're going to be trapped in this system and in this cycle and never see the end. Yeah, I mean, I was um, I was doing I was doing some reading this week and I saw a tweet from someone that said, you know, black people. Whenever we travel somewhere that we haven't been before, whether it be a different state or a different country, we've got to do the research of, hey, how, hey, how racist are, hey, how racist are they? You know, like part of the black experience is just wondering, okay, well, how are things in this city? And people will tell you, oh, well, you know what? You shouldn't go over to this neighborhood. X, Y, Z has happened. I remember we were, I went to France last year with my family on a vacation and one and we saw a there was a black man working at the front desk of the hotel and my mom asked him okay well how how racist are they how how racist are they here you know that's something that we have to do not even just in the united states but just globally you know we're always watching our backs because we never know when we're going to run into some sort of incident that's you know potentially going to get us killed You know, we, we, you know, when we started driving or, you know, when we were starting to think about driving, you know, you know, I, I don't know what you guys, but, you know, with my parents, it's like, you know, you always have to be cautious about driving while black, especially since I was going to school in a rich white area. And they're like, you have to be careful about getting, you know, uh, driving while black. And now it's like, all right, well, what I have to tell, you know, like my nieces and potentially future nephews if I give future nephews uh you know about being black in America it's driving while back black walking while black uh eating ice cream while black sleeping while black you know it's going to, to the grocery store you know it, it's always having a target on your back and the target is your skin color mm-hmm. first thing I do when I get into my car is take my wallet out of my back pocket and put it in the side of my door because that was one of the first things my father told me about driving while black. You 
you don't want to have to make any quick moves. You want everything to be visible. If they come and ask you questions, you you don't want to be put in a place where they have a reason to shoot or to make that next aggression. And explaining that to one, having that explained to you already sets a trauma that I don't think we get to talk about enough, but knowing that we might have to explain that to our future kids, our future nieces and nephews, uh, telling it to my, my nephew just shows how far apart those two Americas are. And I know I, I, I'm pretty sure both of you saw, I don't know, I posted on Facebook earlier, but uh, right after when Ahmaud Arbery was, you know, like that video was released and a lot of people were talking about it, um, you know, I was in the thread and we were talking about how, like, you know, when I go out on runs or walks in my neighborhood and the surrounding area, I always have my license on me just in case, you know, I get pulled over again by the police and they're just like, hey, where do you live? And, you know, uh, why are you here? And things of that nature. And there are so many other people that said, yeah, I do the same thing. I never leave my house without an ID, no matter where I'm going. Um, and someone responded, the black guy responded, and he said, it's just another example of a nigga having to carry his freedom papers. And if you don't know what freedom papers are, those were uh, pieces of identification that showed that a black man was a free, or a black woman were a free man and woman in this country, and they were not an escaped slave. And the fact that that comparison is brings so true today is that, hey, this ID shows that I belong where I am. I'm not, you know, so, you know, insert stereotype black person here. You know, I, I belong here. Is in, you know, 150 years after slavery, 50 years after segregation ends, this is where we are. And I don't care if your 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 black friend hasn't experienced racism. Maybe they haven't. They just haven't told you. Because that's also a level. Like, it's hard talking. It was, it, and when I was in college, it was harder to talk to my white friends about racism. Because when I did, they couldn't get it. They couldn't grasp it. Mm-hmm. Now they do. Mm-hmm. And it's hard, I imagine, for any black person to talk to their white or other person. Maybe not other people of color as much. But with their, you know, white friends about racism and that if someone is openly telling you about that and not being prompted by some immediate event like we're seeing now, maybe something they experience and they're just opening up to you. Just shut up and listen. Uh Sometimes you don't need to say anything. Just, you know, listen, be there for them, comfort them. But sometimes you just need to shut up Uh and don't take that space from them. I'll never forget, I was having one of those conversations and the individual to my face told me that because of the privileges I've had, um, being the president of our fraternity, um, being able to go to college, I was over, um, over exaggerating the situation and hadn't actually experienced what I thought I was. Um, and it, it, again, it speaks to that point of this can't just be 
a news cycle situation. Those type of those type of uh, responses, that type of understanding that, oh, you're telling me this, but I feel like I need to justify the other behavior or try to console you. That's that's just not where we need to be or where we are. And that has to change. Yeah, I mean, no, I mean, and and talking to any of your friends is always tough. I mean, I mean, when I was in college, I mean, I definitely lost friends, you know, because of Ferguson and Baltimore and things like that. Because, I mean, there were people who I thought were cool, who I enjoyed being around. You know, we went to parties, you know, we were getting food, having laughs. But I saw some of the most, when I started seeing some of the most, like, disgusting things, I had ra most, like, racist things I had seen in my life from people that I honestly thought were cool online, I mean, I'd have to use that block button. And I've heard people talk about, like, oh, I've had to block so many people since Trump was elected. By the time I personally, this is just me personally, by the time I got the 2016 election, a lot of the folks that supported Donald Trump, I had blocked on Facebook and Twitter because I had seen things that... I just didn't like, you know, I saw people post, oh, what about black on black crime? Oh, what about where are the black fathers? You know, things of that nature. And I've reached a point now where I'm just like, I'm willing to have a conversation with someone who comes to me in good faith, is generally interested, generally wants to understand what I have to say, but I'm not doing online debates and I'm not doing any of these performative any of these performative discussions when, let's face it, at this point, a lot of folks should be able to look at my timeline and look at my feeds and know what I think. And if you want to know what black people think about police brutality, what we think about our treatment in America, there is a wealth of resources online, on Google, on YouTube, etc., where you can understand how we feel. And the mythos of black on black crime is an inherent tool to silence black America's voices on subjects of police brutality because white on white crime exists Hispanic on Hispanic crime, Latinx on Latinx crime, Asian on Asian crime across all the nationalities uh, it, it does not matter because crime is about opportunity and means. And if you live in an area where it's predominantly your race, then guess what? That's where crimes are going to be committed against. And they're all at about the same percentage level. It's generally in like between like 82 and like 86%. And that's just how it is. And if you look at the next race that happens, those statistics are generally around the same too, because it's about means and opportunity. So you want to say black on black crime, but then, you know, that's pretty much the only label that ever exists when it comes to race on race crime. And it's nothing more than essentially a racial epithet, like the word thug. It's inherently designed against black people. Yep. And there was a tweet that was posted recently 
um, that kind of just walk through the ideology that is used when it comes to crime. You have black on black crime, it's gang violence. When you have black on white crime, it's a riot or a murder or something, something that makes it seem more egregious. But when you have white on black crime, it was an accident or it was a misunderstanding um, or it was lawful, but it was wrong. When you have white on white crime, it was just a dispute. When you have white on any other race crime, it was a mental health issue. And it, it, it is all of those aspects that I'm hopeful we are starting to get to a place where we can start seeing and understanding that. We can see and understand that there was no reason for the president, president of the United States to tweet out in all capital letters that a group of people were thugs when not even a month earlier, he was saying that states needed to liberate themselves and people should grab their guns and walk to their capitals. When he said that there were good people on both sides during a neo-Nazi protest, when we get to a place that we can finally see that we are that ingrained to just hear and accept and move on, that is when we can actually do something. And for going back to George Floyd specifically and looking at the charges brought against the officer, I don't know how to pronounce his last name, Chauvin or Chauvin or something like that. And he got uh, charged with third-degree murder and manslaughter. And looking at the complaint in and of itself, or the charging information, that in and of itself looks weak. And hearing the autopsy report is even weaker because they essentially are concluding that it was pre-existing conditions that led to his death and not the knee on his neck for seven to eight minutes. He killed himself. And it looks like it's setting the stage for another officer to get off on the murder of an innocent black person. And Lord only knows what's going to happen if, if he gets off. When it is rather universally accepted by police officers all over the country that are calling this out black America especially a lot of white America and a lot of other communities of color are saying this was wrong mm-hmm. and he still probably will get off but to Let's black America the situation. Like, this is nothing new this is what mm-hmm. we've been dealing with for you know a lot in the past 10 years but even especially you know uh, you can't even just say from the 80s and on. You know, Rodney King yeah. in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Let's not forget Ahmad either. They they might have arrested and charged them, but there's already been leaks of we don't know the full story. The video was misinterpreted. Their defense has evidence to acquit them. In that situation... I don't understand or comprehend what that looks like and how you make an argument that what happened was justified. Um, but they've already, they brought up that he was walking on some undeveloped housing project and that made him suspicious, which for some reason gives them the right to do a citizen's arrest, which is a murder. 
in the same that is the state we're at. statute calls for you to have witnessed the crime. Mm-hmm. And that was never present. That was never stated. Nope. So the fact that they weren't even charged initially and they used the citizen's arrest, the prosecutor used the citizen's arrest as the basis of that mm-hmm. is evidence of and we're not really going to look into it all that more, much more. Yep. 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 And I mean, looking at Milwaukee, they they're touting how they were able to expedite this process. Cops never get charged as fast as they've been able to charge um, Chauvin. But they pick the lower statutes so they could just get it done. And they they speculate that the other officers will be charged. But let's see what we've been two days since Chauvin's been charged and we haven't heard anything else about the other officers. Just a constant call by protesters and um, individuals who are actually following the case that that should have happened already. There has already been in place to make it so that they don't have to give the appropriate action. Me personally, I think that you don't want to overcharge. You don't want to be overly zealous in how you charge because if you go after first degree murder and you don't give the jury instructions on something else and they don't feel like it should have been first degree murder, he's going to get off. And then you can't agree. bring it back mm-hmm. because of double jeopardy. I do but agree. I, you go where the evidence leads you, but the way they're presenting it, the information that's come out now, and granted there could be a lot more that we don't know, but it looks like it's setting the stage for him to get off. Yep. Yeah, and I mean, listen, if they don't have a legitimate case and he gets off and, you know, there are more uprisings, can't really complain. Like, everybody saw that video. Everybody knew what happened to George Floyd was wrong. I mean, this is a grown man who was crying out for his mother. You know how much pain you have to be in to cry out for your own for your mother? Like a grown man. This is a grown adult. I'm not I'm not sure how old he was, but you know, everyone knows that what happened was wrong. So yeah, there has to be justice. Right. Yeah. And correct me if I'm wrong, his mother had also passed away. So he was calling out for someone that he knew wasn't there. That that in in and of itself is a sign of this is my last, this is my last stand. This is my last breath. I just want mercy and forgiveness. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think the only other thing I also wanted to mention is that, you know, activism can be, can be in multiple ways. If you're uncomfortable going to protests because, listen, there has been a violent these protests, you know, there are people who have had injuries and fatalities and things of that nature. Um, one thing that you can also do besides talking to friends and family and going to these protests is, I've been seeing this on Twitter a lot, is open your purse. <laughs> there has been 
There are a lot of bail funds that are public right now. There are a lot of there are a lot of um, organizations that are requesting for donations right now that are uh, facil- facilitating a lot of these protests. So, if you have the means, open your purse. There's a lot of celebrities out here that you know will easily tweet, you know, Black Black Lives Matter, and go about their day. A lot of these folks have money, and if they really care about these issues, you got to open that purse up. <laughs> you know that is that is also something that is vitally important to dealing with the situation. I'm sorry, guys. I love that phrase. Open your purse. I, that's a new, that's a part of my uh, that's gonna be a part of my vocabulary from now on. <laughs> the, the other thing I, I want to say is, if you are comfortable going to protests, look up before you go, and especially if you're going to. I recommend not going by yourself. Mm-hmm. But Google ACLU what to do when the protest. They'll list your rights of what you can and can't do, what to do if you get arrested. Um, make sure you have the number of the National Lawyers Guild chapter, local chapter, uh, local chapter NAACP, because they can help you with an attorney if you can't afford one on your own. Or maybe mm-hmm. if you're in a group, you guys have a private lawyer that at least knows what you're doing and you generally won't be charged unless they actually do something so you know you have someone to call and write those numbers on your body so you don't have to rely on your memory and make sure it's in something that's going to stay on there for a little bit of time so you don't have to worry about the numbers rubbing off um but you have a right to protest um and you have a right to protest safely um but make sure you do stay safe and are properly supplied with water and things of that nature and uh, take care of yourself and the people you are with. Yeah, I mean, there there are definitely, uh, I mean, there are a lot of different guides to how to effectively protest online. I've read some things about um, the cops using rubber bullets and I believe a, um, a journalist photographer actually lost her eye because she was hit in the face with a rubber bullet you know, and there's been there's been a lot of issues with freedom of the press right now as well. We saw, I mean, everyone saw that CNN anchor get arrested during a live broadcast. Um, I've seen reports of um, multiple jur- journalists being hit with rubber bullets and things of that nature. So, I mean, this is a, this, I mean, these are really these are really dark times, and there's a lot there's a lot going on. I, I do want to add one other thing, um, especially if you are a person with a lot of, of, of black friends or you are black, it is not necessary, especially at this point, to share the video or images of George Floyd's death or any other black person's death, because that has a negative effect on anybody's mental health but especially Mm -hmm. black people's mental health to see someone that looks like them the reality that they know could happen to them be broadcasted and posted everywhere that they see Mm -hmm. Um, there is no positive impact on that especially at this point everybody knows what happened most people have seen the video or seen the photo you don't need to outwardly share it or if you do and do it on something like snapchat or Instagram, 
make sure you have some type of content warning before it so people are aware and they can click past it. Yep. And black people take care of your mental health. Delete your social media if you have to. Stop watching the news. Because, like, I deleted social media off my phone because of I, it, I was, it was not going to be a productive use of time because pretty much everything on there is about these protests and George Floyd, and sometimes you just don't need to see everything. It, mm-hmm. Social media will be there when you get back. Take a day, take a couple of days. But isn't it amazing how the news cycle can change overnight? We went from like constant Democratic primary coverage to coronavirus, to, you know, police brutality. Yep. Yep. And, I mean, as you mentioned earlier, I mean, black people, we're we're disproportionately dying from the coronavirus as well as dealing with all these issues. And, I mean, I saw a quote that, you know, black people, we're simultaneously dealing with two viruses at once, the coronavirus and racism. Mm Mm-hmm. Don Lennon worded it um, very well in that aspect and challenge, I don't know if y'all got to see this, but challenge Andrew Cuomo of, as a country, we have two viruses occurring, but at the end of the day, you see me, you know who I am. We are close. We are like brothers. My pain is that I saw myself in George Floyd your pain should be that you saw me in him. Your pain should be that that could have been your close friend, that could have been your close person. Um, and then he went on to to talk about a lot of other things that are occurring, but I, I root a lot in that. And I challenge people who are listening to this, people who are processing and going through those things, see someone not just the theme of racism, not just the ability to get stuck in the good, bad binary and feel like I, I understand what's going on so I am not racist. See someone and feel that pain because that, that gives you a space to understand that there truly is no inherent only two options when it comes to racism. You can be understanding and know what's going on but still contribute to the microaggressions and still set the same stage Amy Cooper did as y'all highlighted be there and feel that I think the last thing that I want to say is the finishing statements from King in his The Other America speech. Uh, And I think that'll be all for me, but he says, Abused and scorned though we may be, our destiny is tied up in the destiny of America. Before the Pilgrim Fathers landed at Plymouth, we were here. Before Jefferson etched across the pages of history the majestic words of the Declaration of Independence, we were here. Before the beautiful words of the Star-Spangled Banner were written, we were here. For more than two centuries, our forebearers labored here without wages. They made cotton king. They built the homes of their masters in the midst of the most humiliating and oppressive conditions. And yet, out of a bottomless vitality, they continued to grow and develop. 
And I say that if the inexpressible cruelties of slavery couldn't stop us, the opposition that we now face, including the so-called white backlash, will surely fail. We're going to win our freedom because both the sacred heritage of our nation and the eternal will of the almighty God are embodied in our echoing demands. And so I can still sing, we shall overcome. We shall overcome because the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. We shall overcome because Carlisle is right. No lie can live forever. We shall overcome because William Cullen Bryan is right. Truth crushed to earth will rise again. We shall overcome because James Russell Lowell is right. Truth forever on the scaffold, wrong forever on the throne. Yet that scaffold sways the future. With this faith, we will be able to hew out of the mountain of despair a stone of hope. With this faith, we will be able to transform the jangling discourse of our nation into a beautiful symphony of brotherhood. With this faith, we will be able to speed up the day when all of God's children, black men and white men, Jews and Gentiles, Protestants and Catholics, will be able to join hands and live together as brothers and sisters all over this great nation. That will be a great day. That will be a great tomorrow. In the words of scripture, to speak symbolically, that will be the day when the morning stars will sing together and the sons of God will shout for joy. Yeah, I yeah, I mean it's true. Um, I, I, I mean I'm trying to think of because we're we're I think we're a little over the hour mark here. We've been going for a while. Um, Terrell, do you have any uh, other things that you wanted to add before we wrap up for today? I was just gonna thank y'all again for having me in this conversation, and I I appreciate both of y'all. I appreciate the work that y'all do. Um, and the, the words of Martin Luther King, I think, still ring so true today. And at the end of it, I just think we shall overcome. Yeah, thank you for uh, coming on as well. We really appreciate it. Anytime really that we can have it. someone come on and have another voice. So, um, as far as uh, any other things I want to add, I just I want people to. I want people to do their research, understand why these things are happening, and look for any way to help that they can. We need people in the streets. Not everybody needs to be in the streets. If there are other ways that you know you can help, open that purse, then definitely feel free. Talk to your family members, and we're going we're gonna to have to find a way to get through this because, I mean, what other choice do we have? Um, and, um, I, I, oh, also just the one last thing I want to say is hold elected officials accountable. I don't care what party they're in. They all play a role in these sort of situations. We've got a lot of may these mayors, these governors, and of course, you know, who we have in the white house, they all have influence, they all have power Congress. They all have things that they can do to help rectify a situation, so please, I mean, look for, I mean, I personally don't have the answers right now, but when there are actionable things that come out, hey, call your congressperson, call, you know, whoever, et cetera, et cetera, please do those things because that's really the only way that we're going to stop these situations from happening is with, you know, change to the system. And if there is not change to the system, there are going to be more. There are going to be more uprisings. So if you want uprisings to end, you want people to go home, then you've got to help us out and do the work to 
make change because, I mean, as we like to say, no justice, no peace. All right. Well, um, I'm Chris. I'm Chris. And um, we'd like to thank uh, Terrell for joining us um, again, and we really appreciate it. And we will catch you guys on the next podcast. Until then, um, stay safe.